Fathers, do you have a strategic plan for how to initiate your sons into manhood? Today, in the first part of our discussion with Dean Briggs, we discuss the importance of rites of passage and more on this week's episode of the Noble Man Podcast. Folks, welcome to the Noble Man Podcast. I am excited to have with us as our guest today, Dean Briggs. Now, I did not know Dean before, but I am excited about a project that Dean has been working on called Brave Quest. Dean is with us from Kansas City, Missouri. He's got seven sons, and this project is his work of how he was very intentionally about investing in his young men as he was great raising them to be godly men. So, Dean, welcome to the Noble Man Podcast. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. Thank you, sir. Uh, it's good to be with you. It's good to be with you. Now, you have seven sons. Let me just camp out there. I think you've got, what have you got, eight children total? I do. I have eight eight, eight children, and so... Uh, you know, obviously seven boys and one girl. And the girl uh, is a delight, but seven boys, there was a pattern there that I needed to address. And uh, so Brave Quest was an attempt to do that. Now, a little bit of background here, uh, just for everyone to understand how this unfolded. I planted and pastored a church for many years, and uh, my wife uh, passed away after almost 16 years of marriage. Uh, uh, and when she passed away, I had four boys under the age of 11, uh, in God's, you know, beautiful timing and ways, bringing beauty out of ashes. I met and married, fell in love with and married a young widow herself. I was in Missouri. She was in California. It's a longer story there, but she had four children. She had been widowed. Her husband, uh, had, uh, died in a head on collision. So she had four children. They had been married almost 16 years as well. And so we found each other. The Lord brought us together. So she had three boys and one girl. And and so part of the reason I'm saying that is there was a timing element involved. And I did this for the sake of not just my biological children, but my stepchildren, which I are, they're fully mine. I, I, uh, I'm not doing this as... Uh, without understanding the issues that a father has or a stepfather, because I had them both. And so I, I want to, from the very beginning, I want to encourage the men, whether you're a dad or a stepdad, this is for you. Wow. Well, I am so glad that you pointed that out. I, I did not know that specifically. And so, man, the whole blended family issue is it's becoming more and more commonplace and we're having more requests for guys who say, Hey, can you help me figure this out? Because this is very difficult ground that I am walking on. So, um, a total of eight kids, you had both been married for in the neighborhood of 16 years. So what were the ages of these kids when, when you guys blended these two families? Yeah. So, uh, uh, on my end, the ages were five through age 11, uh, my youngest are twins, and so I had uh, two five-year-olds, and and then up through age eleven, uh, uh, age nine and eleven, and on her end it was age six through thirteen. Wow, so very close in uh, in age demographics there. So how old are they all now? I know some of them are married. I've seen the page on your website. So so what are their ages yeah, now? They're, they're all they're all grown. The youngest, my twins, are seniors in college. One in Phoenix, one in Minneapolis, wrapping up this year. Uh, the older ones, uh, the ages range from twenty 
22, age 22 to 31. Uh, the twins just turned 22, so 22 to 31. The older three are married. In two days, I celebrate uh, with uh, my fifth son, uh, my, my stepson Chandler. He's getting married, and I'll be officiating at the wedding. And so the whole family's actually gathered here to the house. There's a bunch of kids and grandkids. I've got five grandkids and a sixth one on the way. I've indoctrinated all my kids that I want five from each of them. Uh, yeah, because right? Because this is my global takeover plan. <laughs> I love it. Well, listen, so you were, you pastored a church, you planted and pastored a church, and then you went through this significant trauma in the loss of your wife, and you're there with those four sons. And so dealing with that, tell me about how you as a dad navigated dealing with your own grief and then helping your kids deal with their grief. What did that look like? Even that story could be a, a blessing to some guys who might be listening now. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was traumatic, of course. Uh, um, my late wife and I had a very uh, blessed marriage. Uh, my wife now uh, and her late husband had a very blessed marriage. We were fortunate in how the Lord brought us together. And even with the eight kids and a blended family, all of the kids had a shared grief. And so they could sympathize with one another. And that was a point of bonding between the two families. But um, uh, I, I am a writer. I, 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 I'm, I, I'm a preacher, a Bible teacher, but I'm a writer also. And so I did a couple of things. Number one, I felt like I needed a way for my kids to understand their life outside of their life and to put them in a story that would make help explain their life. In other words, uh, make them the hero of the story. I did that in two different ways. I'm just going to mention one real quick because some of the uh, uh, folks might want to know about this. I wrote a five-part young adult fantasy series. It's called The Legends of Caractor. I, I think I invented a genre it's autobiographical fantasy. I don't know that that's ever been done. It's about four boys that lose their mom to cancer, which is exactly what happened. And they get swept away into another world, kind of like C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia, J.R.R. Tolkien. They have to learn to live like champions. Well, in the process of writing that, I also met and fell in love and remarried and gained four more and, and so the story evolved. The four brothers met uh, the, the, the lady of the other land and her four children. And it becomes this five-volume series about our family. To the average reader, it's just a thrilling fantasy adventure. But each of them have their names, their personalities, and their own story that unfolds over that. And in the process of doing that, part of the reason I'm mentioning that is in the process of doing that, I realized there is an opportunity to tell a different kind of story more personally. It's not third-person narrative fiction. It's first-person, you're the author, you're the, you're the young man on the quest. And um, uh, with my 11-year-old pressing toward 13, I just became really burdened that he needed a way to make sense of his life beyond the, the series I was writing. He needed a way to be in the story himself. We can get into it a little bit, but there is a painful lack of meaningful rites of passage for our young men. If you, if you look through culture, 
uh, ancient cultures understood the necessity of this all around the world. Primitive cultures to, you know, what we would call uh, more advanced civilizations from the Bushmen in Africa to the politicians of Greece. And it typically would happen around age 13. We look at our boys now and we think they aren't ready for anything, but that's because we haven't actually expected anything of them. I saw a report the other day, 50 years ago, the average 22-year-old was married and beginning this family. Marriage began earlier, families began earlier. Why? Because the men were men earlier. Uh, growing up in an agricultural society, you're out there working with your dad at eight years old, at 12 years old. I remember my father-in-law just a generation ago, uh, getting on the tractor at 5 a.m. as an eight-year-old. Why? Because the the land needed it. His dad needed him. And, and they didn't have all the distractions of modern society. So we've we basically, in fairly rapid form, created all kinds of substitutes for maturity, all kinds of substitutes for growing up. And young men are finding satisfaction and stimulation in so many other pursuits that don't really prepare them for life. And they think if they're an expert marksman on call of duty, they're ready for battle. And it just doesn't even make sense. And so we have aged out boys. By the time they hit 20, 22, 25, they're aged out boys, but they aren't actually men. And so these rites of passage in, in other cultures were designed to say, there's a threshold where you need to start thinking like a man. There's a, there's a line that we want to create for you. We, we want you to think of yourself as a man. The tribe is going to start to think of you as a man. And while that may not be fully true in terms of your, uh, your, your masculine strength, you need to know this is expected of you. This is the invitation you're given. And here's the point at which you begin to join the company of men. Without that, they flounder. I'll just tell you, you are preaching to the choir. I am about raising kingdom-minded, engaged kids, uh, especially our young men. You are amongst friends here, and this is, uh, I, I just love it. I appreciate the fact that you have been so intentional with this and more creative than most guys can be. That's part of what I love with this, because a lot of guys would look at me and say, Mike, I love what you've done. I, I don't have ideas like that. And so some guys, they sense the need for this, especially men who are in the church, because they know they missed something and they aren't sure how to give their sons what they didn't have, but they don't have a pathway or a, a template. And so part of what you're doing with Brave Quest and part of what Robert did with Raising a Modern Day Knight was to give some of the less creative among us some strategies to do something that... I mean, sets the tone for manhood for the rest of their lives. So I'm going to drop another quarter in the jukebox and you keep going, brother. <laughs> well, I know I, I know I'm in the company of uh, friends here on this podcast, and that's why I'm grateful to be a part of it. Maybe in another generation, uh, we could have said there was a lack of vision for this, but I don't even think that's fair because fathers were... Uh, involved in their son's lives in so many other ways. Now there was the, we could we could trace sociologically some of the challenges of post World War II, you know, and and the generation gap that resulted. Uh, but there was a time of upheaval in society that uh, men were moving from the farms to the business sector and there wasn't really a roadmap for that and some of 
the damage that came out of that is now being rectified, I believe, by men in the church that they know this is needed. They Over the last couple of generations, we have seen the, the, the challenge of men who weren't really raised by their dads. And, and, and there's this pain that uh, has uh, overtaken two or three generations since then. And this increasing need, which I think is biblical, I think it's prophetic. It's Malachi 4, 5, and 6, that in the last days, the spirit of Elijah is going to come. He's going to awaken the hearts of fathers. This prophetic move of God, the spirit of God, is going to cause men to turn their hearts to their sons and the sons toward their fathers. Because if it doesn't happen, the land comes under a curse. And we've seen the curse of this. So I believe uh, uh, the, the Noble Man podcast, different men's ministries, what John Eldridge is doing, some of the resources you've talked about, th- that is actually the turning of fathers to their sons. And, and this is just the way my heart turned to my sons. With seven sons, I realized I have a, uh, this is not random, this is an entrustment from the Lord. The thing I really want dads to think about, if you're given a son, you have been entrusted with the next generation of leadership. And that's not to diminish the leadership qualities of women. It's just to say that a son has a special role in carrying on the family name, the family business, the family legacy. And I'm speaking in heavenly father terms and earthly father terms. Men have a role of leadership in society. And if we just age them out, and call them men, but they've never really become a man, the land is still under a curse. And we see this in the, the, the uh, politics of millennials and Gen Z. We see it in the, the absolutely destructive mindsets that we have. We see it in the war against identity where uh, uh, you know God's image on the earth is perfectly expressed in a man and a woman, a boy and a girl, the, the, the baby's born, you hear the cry, the doctor announces one of two things. It's a boy or it's a girl. And, and the enemy is so bent on destroying the image of God that, that now laws are being codified to say a boy can be a girl and a girl can be a boy. And they can uh, genitally mutilate themselves in pursuit of that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if this is even kosher conversation, but it's the facts and we can't we cannot as men stand by and simply say well we'll see how things go because we know where it's going we can connect the dots listen mike what what has happened in the last 5 years is shocking to you and i we we would have never guessed that america could be where it is and this that's been going for 20 or 30 years in a sense but in the last five, in the last two, the degree of acceleration of absolute uh, wickedness and confusion is off the charts. And that doesn't lend itself well to a favorable trajectory for our sons. They are in, they have been born into a battle zone. That's always been true. But where the earth was once a battlefield, now it's a toxic battlefield. And if, if we don't actually intervene and, and steer a different path for our sons, then we have left them to the wolves of culture to devour, and we should not be surprised 
when they limp the rest of their lives. Yeah, what is C.S. Lewis's quote? We have uh, castrated the stallion and build, bid the gelding be fruitful. And uh, so we've taken, we've taken away the potential for so many men, even if not physically, we've taken it away from them emotionally. Let me ask you this question. I, one of the things that, that I catch in some of this sometimes is, and it's, it's one of the questions that you've posed elsewhere, is helping moms understand how to walk with young men through this. And I, I can tell you a story about in my house, my, my wife is, is athletic and she's fairly strong. She's fit. And so she was surprised when a 13-year-old boy was stronger than – she saw a 13-year-old boy became stronger than her, and she said, this is just not right. And, and so there were things about that that were shocking because she grew up in a family of – she had three sisters. There were four girls in her home. And so I told her, I said, sweetheart, this is what happens. Their muscles are going to get stronger and harder. We are not raising boys here. You need to understand my goal is to raise men because there will be a day, and sometimes I get emotional when I say this, but there will be a day when you need a man to stand beside you and I will not be available. And so we are raising young men who will be able to stand beside you and you will know that that son of mine is a man and he is prepared to care for me, to cover me, to protect me. Sadly, in our culture, we've got a lot of moms that want to continue to take care of boys who should be turning around and be in a position to take care of moms. So how do you navigate some of that in this whole conversation? Really great question. You know, I think the the picture I always go back to, it's a simple picture that every young couple will understand there is mom tenderly embracing the the very idea of you know nursing a child raising them up they skin their knee they come crying and uh, the a woman gently cradles the two four five seven year old to her bosom and a, a, a woman's personality and architecture is nurturing and soft in that way meanwhile, Dad gets home from work, and what does he do? He grabs the child and throws him four feet up in the air. And 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 mom is like, can you, you know, just throw him one foot in the air, not four feet in the air. But it's actually a thrill to dad and a thrill to the child to see just how far they can launch him. The important lesson is there's something mom can offer that dad can, but not as well. A dad can cradle. A dad can... Uh, you know, put the Band-Aid on the boo-boo. Dads need to be good at that. But there's a reason they typically run to mom. They get a different level of emotional support from mom in those moments. Equally so, that flight, and you, you, you may do it with your little girl up to a point, but then you start to back it off a little bit, often, and you keep doing it with your son. Why? Because there's, there's this built-in barometer that a man and a woman have for what a girl needs and what a boy needs. And that free flight in the air is actually telling them life is risky. Life is an adventure. Life can be enjoyed in its risk. And if I fall, dad's going to catch me. And those are important lessons, especially for our sons, who have to have a sense of the adventure of life, the danger of life, and the willingness to face those and if, if, if mom gets her way too much and dad doesn't throw the son in the air, 
then it's just one small way that we are feminizing our boys. And, you know, I, I have a lot of compassion and there's way too many um, uh, single mom homes. They would love to have a, a, a man in the house that they trust throwing their son up in the air. They've got to do the hard job of being the man and the woman. And, and it's not fair. It's not how it was designed. It's not right. And I have a lot of compassion for them. But even in those moments, in those situations, I really encourage that single mom, find the, the brother, the, the friend at church who's willing to step in because a son will typically at this stage, and we'll get to Brave Quest more, I know, but a son will typically end up resenting a, a, a mother trying to be the dad. And again, it's not fair, but it's why a man needs to do some of these things. And so in the two-parent uh, household with a husband and a wife, what I just encourage the mom to do is pray, support, but be encouraging and release it. Don't try to manage this transition. Don't try to soften it. Don't try to peer too much in the mystery of it or require your husband to over-explain what's happening. You guys can talk. Uh, in the bedroom after things are over, uh, he can prep you for what the journey is going to look like, but this really needs to be the dad guiding the son. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Noble Man Podcast. We hope that you were blessed and challenged by our conversation with Dean Briggs. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to tune back in next week for the second part of our conversation with Dean Briggs. You can also check out the Noble Warriors website for more resources on fathering. We ask that you share this episode with others, joining us in our mission to see churches equip men to walk with Christ and lead well. God bless you. Thank you.